morning, Stonebridge. Morning. Good. 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 There we go. Hey, uh, my name is Andrew Hager, and I'm on staff up at Candeo uh, Church in Cedar Falls, which is another self-network church. Um, it's awesome to be part of a family of churches that care about the next generation. Uh, I was here in July. Um, if you guys were here, I taught here and not asked me to come back, and so really pumped to be here. One big thing has changed about me in my life since July, though, and I've got a picture to show it. I got engaged to that beautiful woman named Laura, so she was with me last time, and that's awesome. So I'm really, really excited to marry her next summer, um, and so that's the great thing. I also have some other guests with me. Thank you.
And so as emphatically, as intensely as Paul can possibly say it in the Greek, he says, absolutely not. No way should we just go on and sin as, as much as we want to, like, because Jesus said, that's just not how it works. But why not? Because honestly, from the outside, that's kind of a reasonable assumption, right? Like, yeah, Jesus saves, there's grace, like, why not? Like, why even bother? Look what Paul says in the last part of verse 2. He says, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul is commenting not on the nature of our choice to sin, but on the nature of our life. All right, Paul isn't talking about if we choose to sin, but if we even can live a life full of sin. Can Christians even, not can we choose, but can we even, are we even able to continue in a life that is dominated and marked by sin? And so the question that, can we just sin as much as we want, that actually assumes that that lifestyle is a valid possibility for a believer. That it's actually possible for a believer to put their trust in Jesus and still choose that. But Paul emphatically rejects that as a valid possibility. All right, it's a dumb question and a faulty assumption. It's not just that we should not live lives full of sin. It's that we cannot. Paul's saying, hey, it's not up to you guys. It's not should we or should we not. It's as believers, we genuinely cannot. And this seems totally outrageous and almost not possible that we are unable to live lives full of sin. But why does Paul say that we can't? Not only that we shouldn't, but that we can't. It's because we have died to sin. That's the reason Paul gives, is that we have died to sin. I think we can understand what it means to die to sin a little bit by thinking what it means for somebody to physically die. If somebody is dead, they can no longer live. That's just a fact of life. We die. And we understand that. No one expects a dead person to be alive or to live anymore. It's just impossible. Like, dead people, they have no place in our world, right? In fact, we bury them in the ground. Because dead people don't have a choice if they want to live or not. They are dead. And that's exactly the relationship that Paul tells us Christians that we have with sin. We are dead to it. It's not an option if we choose to live in it continually. We no longer exist in that realm in the way that dead people no longer exist in the lives that we have. We are dead to sin. It would be impossible for us to live a life that is marked by dominant and continual sin. And so how could Paul make such a bold claim, though? Because it still seems a little outrageous. Because from experience, I know we all know we're not perfect. And we all know we still fall short. We all know that we still have sin in our lives. So how could Paul say that it is impossible for us? How could he say that we are dead to sin? What does he base that claim on, and what does that even mean? Look with me at verses 3 and 4. It says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. All right, so Paul makes a bold statement that Christians are dead to sin, and then he backs it up by telling them to remember their baptism. Which seems kind of weird. At one point he's talking about death and sin, and all of a sudden he makes this sharp transition to baptism. 
But Paul is not just referring to their act of baptism, the time where they were like submerged in water. He's referring to what it represented. So Paul isn't talking about the act of baptism. He's talking about what it meant. And so his bold statement is that we died to sin. And to prove that, he tells them to remember that when you were baptized, you were baptized into Jesus' death. He's saying that when you were baptized, you were symbolizing that you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you believe that, if you genuinely identify with faith in Jesus and the real historical event that he died and came back to life, that means something for you. Jesus' death and burial means something for you and changes your life today when you put your trust in that. Identifying with Jesus' death Trusting in it has real effects on the sin in our life today. Look at what Paul says in 6 and 7. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body, ruled by sin, might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin. And so what are the effects of Jesus' death on our lives today? In verse 6, right there, he says, Your old self has been crucified. It's been killed, destroyed, completely done away with and removed. The old self, that person you were before you trusted Christ, when you were an unbeliever, when you were stuck in your sin, that person, who you were at your core, that's been done away with. It's been killed, it's been destroyed, and it's gone. Your sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. But the best part about all of this is this isn't a command to be obeyed. It's a fact to believe. Paul isn't commanding us anything here. He's not commanding us to put ourselves to death. He's telling us that it's already happened. Paul is trying to help Christians remember and understand that if you have put your faith in Jesus, your old self, your sin nature has died with him. It is no longer existing. We are freed from it. Paul isn't telling them to make it happen. He's telling them to remember that it already has. When Christ was crucified on the cross, so was your uncontrollable anger. When Christ was crucified on the cross, so was your inability to say no to lust and temptation. And when Jesus died on the cross, so did your unconscionable anxiousness and sins of this world. When Jesus died, he took your sin and your sin nature with him. And he removed it completely. And this isn't a command to obey, it's a fact to remember. Your whole self is gone. Jesus died on the cross, not just for the penalty of our sin, but also for the power of it. He died not just for the penalty, but for the power. So yes, Jesus totally forgives you. And our debt and guilt for God is wiped away, but Jesus did far more than just forgive us of our sins. He also took the power of it over our lives away. But that begs the question, why do we still have sin in our lives? All right, if Jesus died and removed our sin nature, if our old self is gone and sin no longer has power over us, why do we still sin? And here's how it works. It's kind of like the way baby elephants get trained. All right? 
I don't know if you guys know very much about elephants. I did not until I read up on them this weekend. But baby elephants, what they do when they're little is to train them, they put these massive steel stakes in the ground. And these big chain links, like impenetrable steel chains, and they tie it around their legs. And they tie up the baby elephants away from their mothers. And as the baby elephants fight and tear, and all they want is to get to their mom, they start tearing their flesh. And it rips away, and it gets more and more painful. And as they grow older, and as these times go on, and they're creating scars, and they're in pain, they realize that they can never break free. No matter how hard they struggle, no matter how hard they fight, they will never be free. It will only cause them pain. And as they get older, and as they realize that they're never going to break free, they just stop trying. And they stop trying. And so when they're fully grown, when they're not a baby anymore, all they have to do is tie the elephants up with a little piece of twine, and a little wooden stake in the ground. And when they feel even the slightest movement, they just quit. And it's crazy to us, because we look at that and be like, oh my word, the elephant, if you would just move, you'd be over it. Why do you quit? But that is exactly what we do when we live in a life stuck in our sin. We don't remember that Christ has broken the chain. We are not chained up to our sin anymore. We are not stuck in it. We are not held by that power, and yet we live like we are. We don't remember the truth of the gospel, and we choose to live in our sin still, and we are just like that elephant who can break free from the twine at any moment, but choose not to because we've been trained to believe that we can't. Our old lives of being chained up under sin's dominion is no more. Jesus took that chain away. We are no longer bound by its power. Because Jesus died not only for the penalty of our sin, but also for the power of it. In your place, Jesus takes away both the penalty and the power of our sin. We have died to sin. Point number two, we are not just dead to sin, we are alive to Christ. Not only have we died to sin, not only is our sin nature gone, but we are alive to Jesus. Look back with me at verse four. It says this, it says, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We identify not only with Jesus' death and not only with his burial, but also his resurrection too. And verse 4 says, We are buried with Christ so that, or in order that, it's a purpose statement here, in order that what? That we would walk in newness of life. Here's what we learn. Jesus' resurrection affects not just our eternal life, but our everyday life. The fact that Jesus came back from the dead doesn't just punch our ticket into heaven. It actually changes everything about our lives right now. Our faith in Jesus doesn't just seal our destiny to heaven. It actually transforms everything about your life day by day, moment by moment. Jesus only, isn't only giving you a new life in the future. He has already given it to you now when he grows again on the third day. You don't have to wait until heaven to live 
that holy life with Jesus because he gives it to you right now. Look at what verse 8 says. It says, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's part of what being alive in Christ. Jesus didn't come to give you a new set of morals. Jesus didn't come to give you a new set of rules to live by. He came to make you alive. And now as Christians, we are just people who act differently. The biggest difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't how you act. We are people who are different. It's the difference between being spiritually dead and spiritually alive. We are not just people who act differently. We are people who are different. Ephesians 2 says that in our old self, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but in Christ, God made us alive. The Bible has so much language, actually, about our new life in Christ. It says things like, we were dead, but now alive. We are given a new heart, we are given a new spirit, and called by a new name. We're a new creation, we're a new creature, a new self. It's not a new and improved you, it's something totally different. God has given you his image, and he's given you his forgiveness and his righteousness as if it were your own. We are new creatures, new creations in Christ. It's a new type of person who's being transformed, renewed, and made more and more like Christ, which was totally impossible before you knew Jesus. Becoming like Christ, living in a relationship with the creator of the world, was impossible when you were spiritually dead. And so how do you know if you're living that life? What does a life, a life in Christ, look like? It's not actually that miraculous. It actually just looks like a few things. This isn't everything, but I think these three things are really helpful to help us understand what it looks like to live a life of Christ. The first one is this. Did you understand and obey God's word? Here's the thing. Dead sheep can't obey a shepherd, right? They're dead. They'll just lay there in the field and no ability to respond to their shepherd. But sheep that are alive, they hear their shepherd's voice and they respond. They go to where he tells them to go, and they respond to his authority. If you are a new creation, if you are living a life with Christ, you are able to understand God's word and to obey him. A life alive in Christ looks like obedience to Jesus. Second thing it looks like, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. Or in other words, you become more and more like Jesus. Trees and plants that are dead, they bear no fruit. They just sit there and they rot. It's impossible to do that. But trees and plants that are alive, they grow fruit and leaves and new things. And the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on, those are the types of things that someone who is alive in Christ, that their life is marked by. Being alive in Christ looks like becoming more like Him. And lastly, you experience the joy of salvation in relationship with the Lord. When people are dead, they can have no interaction with people that are alive. That's just not how it works. They lay there, and it is impossible. And so, too, if you are spiritually dead, if you are separated from God, it is impossible for you to have any joy, any peace of salvation, or any relationship with your God. But if you are lost with Jesus, if you know God, if he knows you, you are alive with Christ. Don't neglect these things. Because these are evidence that you are living this life. We are 
not only dead to sin, but we are alive to Christ too. And so point number three, we spend the rest of our lives living out the reality of those two things. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. It says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And so Paul has now transitioned from telling us, from stating facts to giving commands. So he says, therefore, in light of these truths, in light of the fact that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. So Paul is right here having said that we have died to sin, that our sin nature no longer exists, and we've been made new with Christ, but in our bodies... In our flesh, in this temporary life that we still live, we will fight temptation. Our spirit has been made new, but our flesh is still waiting to be made new in the future. And so we will still have sin, and we will still have temptations. And so what Paul is addressing here this morning isn't every time you sin, but it's a life that is consumed by and marked by overwhelming sin. Here's why it's ridiculous to sin. Not simply because it's disobedience, but because it's not consistent with who we are. Letting sin reign in our bodies makes no sense at all because it's not our master anymore. I read a book recently about Charles Spurgeon and his friend named Thomas who used to be a slave in the United States um, during the time of the Civil War in Virginia. And when Thomas was freed, he had no idea what to do with his life, but all he knew was that he had to get away from the plantation that he grew up on. Now, how crazy would it have been if Thomas went back to that plantation and submitted to his master again? He would never do that because he's not a slave anymore. He's a free man. And his identity changed the way. Well, it's the same thing with us. Our new life, the fact that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, that we are dead to sin and alive with Christ, that identity needs to change. You don't have to go back to your old master to sin. You don't have to go back to that constant besetting sin because that's not who you are anymore. It has no authority over you. Look at what it says in verse 14. It says, For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. We are under grace. As Christians, our lives are marked by incredible, overwhelming grace that is stronger than any power of sin or temptation in your lives. Now, this doesn't mean we're free from all sin, but only over the power of it. And so how does this work? How can we be free from the power of sin, but not each and every individual sin? I think it's actually really helpful to think about the story where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. If you've been around church, maybe you know this. Jesus' really close friend, Lazarus, he was died, he was wrapped up in binding burial cloths. He was buried for four days, and on the fourth day, Jesus brought him back to life. And Jesus walked him out of the tomb, and he gives the command, undo the bindings. Undo the death of the burial robes. 
Now, at that point in time, the burial robes binding, they had no power over Lazarus. Lazarus was totally alive, and he was well, and he had conquered death, but there were still some things from his old life in the grave that he needed to take off. And it would take time, and it would take help from other people to get them off, and I think that's how our sin works. We are totally alive. Jesus has raised us from the dead. Sin no longer has power over us, but we now need to take off some of the barrier roads. Some of us are living in bondage and binding and barrier roads every day like we haven't actually been free from our sin, and that would be ridiculous. If Lazarus would have been raised from the dead and stayed in those roads, then Lazarus' job was to take them off. And Christians, we have a job through the power of Christ, through the power of the resurrection, to take off the sin that so easily entangles us. So how can we be free from our sin? How can we finally get over that besetting temptation that always seems to plague us? The answer is simple. On your own, apart from Christ, it's impossible. But... Jesus can and he did. See, we could never conquer sin on our own, but Jesus came down and lived the perfect life that you and I never could. And he died the death that we deserve, taking away the penalty and the power of it. Jesus did it in your place. That's what it means to be saved by grace. Your power to overcome sin and temptation in your life doesn't come from yourself, but comes from the resurrected Savior who did it for you. We don't live in our own power anymore. We live in the power of the resurrected Jesus. You want victory over sin in your life? You already have it. Because Jesus already did it for you. Let's live like that's true. Jesus, I thank you so much that you saw us dead in our trespasses, that you saw the guilt we had, the debt we owe to you, and you came down to pay it for us. Jesus, I thank you that you totally took our sin away, but Jesus, that you loved us enough to do way more than that. That you didn't just take the penalty for sin, but you took the power of it away as well. Jesus, I thank you that we no longer are in bondage to sin. I pray that we would live like we are actually free and we would live in our new identity and fight sin because it no longer has power over us, because it no longer has power over you. Jesus, you are victoriously risen and you have totally defeated sin and its power. May we live like that is true.